off, well, first of all, let me, I'll get back to the video in a second. I want to start off by um, just sharing that it was pointed out to me uh, the other day that oftentimes when I'm up here on stage, I, I tend to make fun of Marianne or I mention Travis. Um, and Bobby Dion, our associate pastor, is actually the one that pointed that out, and he said that he would appreciate it if I would talk about him more while I'm up here. So I want to make sure I bless him and do that and, and let you guys know that in a few weeks, Bobby is going to be preaching. He's going to be doing his debut preaching. Um, he's super excited about this, yeah. <clears throat> and so, um, so what I'd like for you to do is over the next few weeks, remind him how quickly that date is approaching. Um, and how much we expect out of him and encourage him and really build that up for him and, uh, and make that a special occasion. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> I did what you asked me to do. There we go. Um, <laughs> All right, um, this video that, that we were watching, um, my wife has been attending uh, training over the last few months, and this was one of the videos that they used, and she was all excited when she showed me this video, and she was like, man, I think this video would be a really, really good sermon illustration, or at least it would be a really good illustration for uh, you guys to use at Capstone as you're working with um, at-risk kids and motivating them and talking about how, um, you know, that, that sometimes we need to take an initiative um, when, when things come up. And so I kind of started off preparing this message um, with that in mind. But over the last few weeks, um, as I've watched that video, I'm not kidding you, probably 60 times, um, the Lord really began to, to share and reveal something to me that I, that I want to share with you today. Now, Lowell and I, when we, when we were kind of entering into this series, he and I had no conversation about what he was preaching and what I was preaching. And, and he intended for his series to be a three-part series. Um, we just wrapped it up last week, and, and we talked a lot about how things don't always go the way we had planned. Um, and oftentimes we have these unmet expectations and, and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, and so I did not intend for today to be part four, but I really feel like that as I've sat and listened to, to Lowell and, and what the Lord had laid on his heart over the last few weeks, um, I really feel like that this is timely and, and this is fitting. And so as I began to watch that video, uh, what kept coming to my mind was not so much that they're stuck on this escalator and yes, you know, once it gets stuck, it would just be a matter of, of walking up. But, but I really got to thinking about how oftentimes we get stuck in our lives in, in some of the simplest things. Um, and oftentimes that happens because of perception versus reality. And so in, in Lowell's series, he talked a lot about this is not what I expected and how we have unmet expectations. And oftentimes our expectations are very different than what's, than what's going on. And so today I want to challenge us with this idea that perception is not always reality. But the problem is, is that for most of us, what we perceive to be reality is what we accept as reality. And we, we live in a culture that perpetuates um, this mentality. We, we live in a, in a culture where I was even thinking today about how um, you can buy all these virtual reality uh, apps now that um, even down to the one I was watching today was how it uh, was on home defense and personal defense and, and, uh, and, and martial arts and you can buy a virtual reality app that allows you to, to train and to do that. And I got to thinking about how, how much we're missing and how much is being robbed when we, when we accept what our perceptions are and we, we sacrifice reality. And so I want to start by talking about what perception is versus reality. Perception is the ability to see, hear, or become aware of something through senses. So 
so with that in mind, our perceptions are usually based on, on things like what we can feel. The, the things, that, the, the, our, our senses, the things that we can touch, the things that we can taste. And let me tell you why that's dangerous. Why when we base our perceptions on those, that can become dangerous. The reason that can become dangerous is because there are, I like mushrooms, okay? I like eating mushrooms, okay? I, I used to not eat mushrooms. I, I grew up hating mushrooms. And then a few months ago, all of a sudden, one day I'm just sitting there and I like mushrooms. My taste buds have changed, okay? Um, I don't hear as well as I used to. Maybe it's because my wife and I are going deaf, yelling at our kids all the time. I don't know. Um, but we don't, we don't hear as well as we used to. I, I have reached an age where I don't see as well as I used to. I have to have reading glasses now to, to read a lot of things. And so my, my perception, if my perception is based on the things that I can sense and my senses are changing, then that means that my perception is limited. It's limited by my ability to sense things. And the problem with that is that when we think about the things of God, when we think about the things that are supernatural, they're based on things that we can't always hear, see, feel, and touch. So they're based on, I was listening to a passage the other day, they're based on nonsense things. But so much of the reality that, that we perceive is really not reality, but it's rather our perception of that reality. Reality is defined as the world or the state of things as they actually exist as opposed to an idealistic or perceived idea. In other words, perception is defined as what we're seeing. Reality is defined as what is happening. And so I want to challenge us today with a little bit of contrast between perception and reality. And as I watch that video 60 plus times, I begin to notice some some trends in that video and these actors were, were doing but how how those are real life um, perceptions that I have so first of all as as the video progresses you see the you see these two people they get on the escalator they're riding up the escalator and all of a sudden the escalator stops and the first thing that the, the woman does when she gets upset is goes she pulls out her phone like she's or does something and she goes I, I don't have time for this I don't need this and the first thought that came to my mind is oftentimes what, in, what prevents us from embracing reality, what prevents us from being successful, what prevents us from taking the necessary steps that God's called us to is because our perception is that the world is stacked against us. That we have this idea, you know, that, that, that the world is against us, that, that whatever, no matter whatever good thing is happening, something bad is always waiting around the corner. And that we never get a break. How many times do you hear people say, that, God, I just can't catch a break. I can't believe this is happening. You know, my car broke down. This happened. This happened. And all of a sudden, we're, we're like, a, like a goldfish. He only has like a 30-second memory. And, and now that this bad thing is happening, everything in our life is happening. Bad. Everything is bad. And that's our perception. Our perception is the world is stacked against us. The next thing that happens is, is the guy on the escalator says, don't worry, somebody will come along. This idea exists in you and I that we're alone in our situation, right? That these two people are alone in the situation and that, that there's no help um, and that, that maybe perhaps somebody else will come along and pull us out of this. But we, we convince ourselves that we're alone in this situation. I'm stuck on an escalator. And then, as, as the video trend, uh, when he starts talking about how he doesn't have a phone, he doesn't have this, he's like, well, I guess there's just nothing left to do. 
And it's this idea that, that we can't fix this so that there's no hope. There's this hopelessness that exists. When these situations start to happen to us, when, when life starts to become difficult, when, when the escalators of our lives begin to break down, because remember, these people are headed somewhere, right? They're on a journey. If you, if you watch the beginning of the video, you can see the guy, he's looking at a nice, classy watch. They're, they're all dressed up, and they're dressed for success. I mean, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know what's, what, where they're headed to, but it looks like they're in a nice building. And so my, my belief is, is that these people are, are headed somewhere important, something significant, just like you and I. They're on this significant journey. They have a destination. They have a plan. They have a purpose. And then all of a sudden, this starts to happen, and they feel like the whole world's against them. They're alone, and there's nothing left to do. And then the last thing is, then the video where you see as they begin to, to um, absorb and accept the reality of their hopelessness, this repairman comes along and they go, oh great, he says he can fix it, he can fix it. And I think about how many times in our lives that we put our hope and our trust in other people to solve and fix our problems, that that's our reality, that they can fix it. I, I think about today as I was kind of praying, I, I think about um, a, a couple who, you know, maybe, maybe their marriage is in trouble and, and they feel like, well, if we just have kids, that'll fix it. Or, you know, or maybe couples who are dating and they're struggling, they're like, well, if we just get married, that'll fix it. Or maybe about, you know, maybe about somebody who's a, who's a student and they're like, well, if I just change my major, if I just give up, if I just do this, maybe that'll fix it. If I just settle for less, if I just, if I don't set my expectations high, if I don't put my hope in this, if I don't do that, maybe that'll fix it. Maybe if I, you know, I think about oftentimes in the church how we constantly compare ourselves to other situations and go, well, maybe if I do this, maybe if I do that, maybe if I, maybe if I go to more Bible studies, maybe if I do this, all of that will fix it. If I could be more like so-and-so. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, um, those are pretty common perceptions that all of us have. I mean, I, I know that in my own personal life, when, when things in ministry aren't going the way that I expected them to, my perception is, is that, I mean, I can't catch a break. No, no matter what I do, I just can't get ahead. The whole world is stacked against me. And again, I, I, oftentimes I find myself, you know, sitting at home alone and, and, and praying and thinking, no, nobody else in ministry feels this alone or knows how I feel. And I, and I think about those times where I'm just like, I, maybe, maybe I just give up. Maybe I just go do this. Maybe I just go do that. Maybe I go get a job doing this. Maybe I go get a job doing that. And I would imagine that many of you sitting here today have felt the same way. And so I, I watched that video and I thought about how, you know, everything in me wanted to just, like most of you, just go, well, just start walking up the escalator, dummy. It ain't that hard, right? I mean, there's just, just start walking. But oftentimes our perceptions about reality prevent us from, from taking those steps, prevent us from, from overcoming some of the most simple obstacles in our lives. And, I'm, and I know that one of the reasons that's true is the fact that you're here today. I don't know what your circumstances are, but I know that you woke up today with air in your lungs. You woke up today with some means to get here. 
You woke up today and you came here and you're sitting in a room full of a couple of hundred other people. So I want to challenge you and I that no matter what our perception is, that doesn't always mean that that's what the reality is. So I want to share a couple of things with you about that. So I want to share reality. First, let's talk a little bit about I don't need this. The world is stacked against me. John 16 says, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, there will be troubles. But take heart. I have overcome the world. The reality is that, that we serve a risen king who has overcome the world. And that he has set in us this, this desire and this passion to serve him. He has, he has wired us with these abilities and, and he has called us forth to be his hands and feet. And that we may live in a world that has struggles, but, but the world is not stacked against us. That, that God told Adam and Eve to subdue the earth and rule over it. He says that all authority has been given to us. That's the reality of the world that we live in. Not that the world is stacked against us, but rather that we have authority over it. The next is that someone will come along. We're alone in this situation. Matthew says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. Man, I'm so thankful for, for a church family who, not only on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week, gather together to, to pray together, to eat together, to, to engage in life together. My, my wife and I were just talking this week about how much we've appreciated Wednesday nights and, and the couples that we get to, to share life with and how that relation, those relationships have extended beyond just a, a set meeting time that, that we do progressive dinners together and, and the guys sometimes get together and, and go on retreats and the women go and do things together and that we, we've developed this community, this, these, this relationships where I don't feel alone. I, I sit at a table with other, other fathers who struggle with the same things that I struggle with, who struggle with, you know, with being a good husband or struggling with being a good father and, and, and I realize that I'm not in it alone. I'm fortunate enough to, to have church staff who, who have a real appreciation for, for the work, the hard work and the dedication and the hours and the time and the emotional energy that it takes to serve the body. And that they encourage one another and that we encourage one another and that I'm not in this alone. And I want to challenge you that you're not in this alone either. A lot of you are here today because our kids were up here singing on stage. That on Wednesday nights while we're able to come together and, and pray for one another and have a meal together, Miss um, Dossie and, and her, her volunteer staff engage our kids and teach them um, the art of worship and how to, how to give God glory and value through using their voice and expressing themselves. And, and we come here this morning um, and we, we worship God by celebrating that, what he's doing in our kids. And so in this room are mothers and fathers and husbands and wives and brothers and sisters who understand what it's like to feel alone. But the reality is that we're not. That we're in this together. That no matter what escalator we're stuck on, there's somebody else there with us. The next thing is that there's nothing else to do. I can't fix this. There's no hope. 
in the video, they just stood and screamed and screamed and screamed. And I think about Romans that says, not only so, but we also glory in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And it goes on to talk about how perseverance ultimately produces hope. I think I've shared this with you before, but I've discovered that I actually learned my lessons the hard way. I, I wish that, that I learned my lessons the easy way, but, but I've discovered that I don't do that. That I tend to question God's wisdom and how he grows and develops me. So oftentimes I prefer to do it the hard way. And what I've discovered in doing that is that God produces um, obedience and hope in me because by allowing me to suffer and allowing me to experience things makes me more dependent on him. Because if I'm honest with myself, if I were to choose the path that I think is best for me, that path would not have any obstacles or hurdles in it. And it would allow me to continue to be the person that I am rather than the person that God's called me to be. And so I want to challenge us that our perception is that there's no hope, but the reality is that there is hope. That it's in those moments that God meets us. It's in those moments that God encourages us. And it's in those moments that he grows and develops us and produces hope in us. And the next thing is, is that someone else can fix my problems. I think this is one of the more difficult things for me to grasp. You know, because I, oftentimes I want an instant fix. I want, I want somebody to give me a magical answer. I want somebody, I was thinking this morning, for those of you who have ever seen the Matrix movie, I want somebody that can just hand me, a, hand me a, a blue pill, right, that I can just take it and all of a sudden, you know, I completely understand what's going on. I have this, you know, this great concept of reality and this person's, this person's got a plan and everything's going to go nice and smooth. But 2 Corinthians says that we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And I'm reminded of the fact that, that it's not my wife's responsibility to make me a better person, although God uses her to do that. My worth is not wrapped up in how good of a, a father or a husband or a speaker or an administrator. Or, my worth is not wrapped up in that. And that none of those things, no matter how well I do those things, that's not what brings about change. That's not what, that's not what brings me eternal glory. Now, that's not to say that we can't lean on each other and we can't work through our problems together. We can't hold each other accountable. We can't come around each other and pray. But at the end of the day, my dependency needs to be on him. But so much of our dependency is on man. My worth is going to be measured by whether people think I'm doing a good job. And again, remember, that's a perception, not a reality, because I can create for you whatever perception I want. I do it every single day on Facebook, just like you do. For the most part, we, we post the, the nice, happy pictures, right? We don't post the, 
We don't post the pictures when life is tough, right? It was interesting because as I was working through this, this video, I kept asking the Lord, why, why, why this message? Why, why now? What is, you know, one of the pressures of preaching during the Christmas season is, is that there's kind of this expectation that it be tied to, to Christmas. And, and the Lord lovingly reminded me of why these last few weeks have been so important. And I think Lowell has done a great job of these last few weeks of really talking about our perceptions and our expectations and, and, and kind of unpacking the Christmas story for us and how that's not the way we would have done it. I was listening to a message this week and talking about that there's absolutely no reason that Mary and Joseph would have traveled to Bethlehem if there had not been the census. That, that God's prophetic message had been that the, that the Messiah was going to come from Bethlehem so he had to get Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem and so you know he creates this scenario which forces them to go and then the guy was talking about how oftentimes you know in, in the Christmas story we, we talk about Mary and Joseph arriving in Bethlehem and, and Mary riding on a donkey but the reality is is that based on their their income, they probably couldn't even have afforded a donkey. And so I began to ask the Lord, how, how, how far off of reality are our perceptions about this, this Christmas nativity story? And how does that apply to what we've just talked about? And so here's what he shared with me. And here's why it's important. I think one of the biggest struggles that the church has today in the culture in which we live is that, that we live in this, in this postmodern Christianity. You can go look that word up. It's a big fancy word to talk about how we, we've embraced culture. That we, we no longer have taken authority over the world in which we live in, but rather we allow the world to dictate what our faith is going to be. That we, we perceive a world and, we, and then we wrap our religion around that. We've, we've abandoned absolute truth. Because oftentimes the truth of something is far more than we want to hear. I thought about Proverbs where it says there's a way that appears right to a man, but in the end it ultimately leads to death. And one of my greatest fears for us as a church is if we continue to pursue a perception of the way things appear to be right, what is that going to lead to in us? An example of that was I was, um, I use Jackie Wheeler as an example. Jackie's wearing this little sweater that when you put the hood up, it looks like a deer. <laughs> but guess what? Jackie can put that hood up and go and prance around out here in the front yard all she wants, but that doesn't make her a deer. And you and I can engage and embrace culture and compromise truth to try to be relevant, but that's not going to make us relevant. It's actually going to make us irrelevant. That what makes us relevant in the culture in which we live is the truth that we have. So I was thinking about the nativity. 
that, that churches do. And, and this is not an indictment on what we do. I'm, I'm excited about what we're going to do. But, but it prompted me to, to really dive into what Christmas Eve, the reality of what Christmas Eve might have looked like versus the perception. And so I did a little research, and, and there's a picture about to pop up of what, uh, of what a stable would have actually looked like in Jesus' time. And it would have looked something more like this. It actually would have been a cave carved into the ground. Um, and the livestock would have been herded in there at night because it would have been much easier to protect them if they're all crammed back in the state in this cave. There's limited access for predators, right? So it would have been much easier for the shepherds to protect their flock if they're back in this cave because there's a, there's a funnel. And any predators that are trying to get in there, it, it's, it's a real narrow access. But what was even more striking to me is how similar that looked to what a tomb would have looked like in Jesus' time as well. And actually found that oftentimes once a stable was, was finished, if, if people moved on, that stable could have then been converted over to a tomb. Now at Cedar Grove, we have goats. We use goats to um, maintain our property up there. We have five goats um, for 37 acres. And I can tell you that five goats stink. And, and they produce a lot of poop everywhere. And, and when the wind's blowing right and they're nice and warm and they're in their rut. And, and because when they rut, one of the things they do to attract females is, is, is pee on themselves. And why that's attractive females, I don't know. But, um, but they do that. And when the wind is right, you can smell them quite a, quite a distance away. But I can only imagine what a true manger would have smelled like, a true cave in the wall would have smelled like when you start cramming all this livestock in there. And not only that, but, but and I don't want to gross you out, but take, take a minute and go look up what, what are the kind of biting lice and flies and other kind of parasites would have been in this cave. You can't imagine the filth and the nastiness that that would have been. I mean, the reality, I mean, the perception that we have is we throw a few animals out and we have Mary and Joseph and we have this nice clean hay and stuff like that. That's not the reality of what the manger scene would have looked like. It would have smelled. It would have been loud. It would have been gross. There would have been biting flies and bugs and just this absolute nastiness. So why, God, do you choose that reality to engage humanity? And this is why. Because Romans says that we were enemies of God. Isaiah says that we despised him. 2 Corinthians says that we were blinded to the truth. John 2 says that we were liars. Genesis and Luke said that we hid ourselves from God. I think about the children of Israel who, who had abandoned their faith and were hiding in the caves. Ephesians says that we were dead in our sins. Oftentimes, our perception about ourselves is very different than the reality that Scripture portrays. 
Oftentimes, I think the reason that we struggle to engage in the reality of who God is is because of our perception of who we are. And I think we fall into one of two categories. We either fall into the category of I'm not worthy or we fall into the category of I'm not that bad a person, I've got time. But here's what I want to share with you. The picture that God paints of us is of a blind person who is deaf to his word, who cannot tell the truth, who despises him, who is his enemy, and ultimately dead in a tomb. And 2,000 years ago, at Christmas, John says, And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. That's the reality of the Christmas story. Is that you and I were in the filth of our lives. We were in the most despicable, disgusting state that we could have possibly been in. And we were too blind and deaf and angry to perceive the reality of the human condition. So Jesus says, I can fix that. You're not stuck on an escalator. You're stuck in a cave. You're stuck in a hole. You're stuck in a tomb. You are absolutely beyond repair. In and of yourself. But I have a plan. And that plan is I'm going to meet you right where you're at. In the midst of the filth and the grime and the, and the, and the flies and the maggots and the, and the flesh-eating whatevers. That's where I'm going to come. And I'm going to take your place. And I'm going to meet you there. That's the reality of the Christmas story. I would be doing you a disservice if I didn't offer you an opportunity to receive this gift today. I don't normally do this, but I I really felt compelled that for some of you, your perception was that you were beyond repair. Your perception is that you you didn't need a Savior. But I want to invite you today that the reality is that regardless of what your circumstances are, Christ is here. And he desires to transform your life. He desires to raise you from the dead, to give you new eyes, to bring you peace, to become your friend. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, your word says that you became flesh and that you made your dwelling among us. And we've had an opportunity to behold your glory. And so, Father God, right now, I pray for us as a family. I pray for any brother and sister who's in here today who has never encountered you in their heart. Lord, I pray right now that you break off these false perceptions that we have. Lord, I pray that right now you remind us that we're not in this alone. That wherever we're gathered, you're here. That you bring life and hope and joy in dark 
places. That, Lord, I was destined for that tomb. But I'm alive in you. And if you're here today and you've never received that, there's nothing magical you have to say. Scripture says if you confess in your mouth and believe in your heart that he is Lord, then he is your Lord. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as right now saying, you know what, Lord, I don't have all this figured out. I don't know what reality is versus perception. I've been living a lie, but I want to see the reality of who you can be in me. Because he says whatever we pray in his name, it'll happen. And so, Lord, we pray that right now in your name. We pray that for every person who's hiding in a cave right now, whose heart is dark because they have not seen the light, that right now, Lord, that you bring light and hope to them in this Christmas season. We are so thankful that you chose to meet us in the midst of our filth and to wash us clean with your glory. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Scripture says this, that while we were dead in our sins, Christ died for... Romans 8 says, but God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for you. Merry Christmas, family.